In many ways, I believe the eighth chapter of Romans, Romans 8, would be a fitting chapter to the end of the New Testament because Paul has such a profound understanding of everything that occurs in the Bible, and it sort of all comes to a climactic moment in Romans chapter 8. So I want to revisit Romans chapter 8 at the very end of the sermon. In the meantime, I'll confess that with our children, it has always been a challenge to introduce them to things on television. So what we did was we began with the Twilight Zone. When they asked why it was black and white, we just explained that anything that was actually any good was in black and white. And eventually they asked us about things in color and we said as long as it's not made by Disney. But God has a sense of humor and what I'm about to say reminded me of the Twilight Zone because the Twilight Zone would begin with a sort of homily by Rod Serling, its creator, and then it would conclude with that as well. And that's what we have this morning. If you can think back to a Twilight Zone and Rod Serling coming on, he'd say something like this. Witness a simple pastor in Columbus, Ohio. Just a few short weeks ago, he brazenly condemned a certain catchphrase of a certain shoe company during a certain season of church life when clothing was the weekly topic of the adult Sunday school. During this past week, this simple pastor unexpectedly came to a profound appreciation for this same shoe company. Its advertising and well-known logo are things he now appreciates. That shoe company is Nike, but profound appreciation for its swoosh and ubiquity does not come through its own advertising, but is found only in the pages of your New Testament. What I want us to do is stand, in a sense, on a word inspired by the Holy Spirit the word is Nike. I want us to stand on that word during this sermon and consider it from the different aspects that the New Testament gives to us. Nike is the New Testament word used for overcoming. And I'm not sure overcome is quite the best way to say it. Victory is a little better, or maybe even conquer, really gets at the word Nike. Nike is a mythological god, the mythological god of victory. So in the Greek that the New Testament is written in, over and over throughout the New Testament, you get to consider the word Nike. And the, one of the ways we think of that is the day in and day out patterns and rhythms of life as a Christian, and for that we could turn to Romans chapter 12, verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but, be over, uh, but overcome evil with good, 
That's sort of like what we're called to every single day, every moment of our existence. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. Do not be Nike'd by evil, but Nike evil with good. That's our first point. That brings us to our second point, and we're going to uh, consider five different aspects when it comes to this word Nike, and we've just looked at one. The second aspect comes not from the Apostle Paul, but from the Apostle John. Throughout the entire book of Revelation, you just come back to it over and over and over. And it occurs seven times in the seven different letters to the seven different churches. And I'll just read some of that language to you. It's in Revelation 2 and 3. But this isn't saying so much, don't, it's, it's not saying explicitly, don't be uh, conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. In these seven messages to seven different churches and to our church as well, the language is to the one who conquers. So it's a little more open-ended. So for instance, in Revelation 2 verse 1, we read, to the church in Ephesus, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And then in, this is in verse 7. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. To the one who Nikes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And then that same word, the Nike word, is used same way in each of the next six churches. So to the church in Smyrna, to the one who conquers, he will not be hurt by the second death. And then to the church in Pergamum, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. Then to the church in Thyatira, the one who conquers, I will get to him, I will give authority over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as I also have received authority from my father. To the church in Sardis, the one who conquers will thus be clothed in white garments. Good uh, recall of our Sunday school hour there, clothed in white garments. To the church in Philadelphia, to the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, even in New Jerusalem. To the church in Philadelphia, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, so that no one will take your crown. To the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore. To the church in Laodicea, to the one who conquers, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne. Promise after promise after promise to the one who conquers. And then really the, the rest of the book of Revelation focuses on that. You may have heard this, but there's a tremendous story about a simple janitor, and he's reading his Bible at the place of his work. And uh, somebody notices that he's reading his Bible and calls out to him, hey, what are you reading? And he says, the book of Revelation. 
And the person who questions him says, do you understand that? And he says, sure. He says, How, what does it mean? He says, it means Jesus wins. Jesus conquers. Jesus is the victory. To Jesus goes the victory over every sphere, over every age. So we have these two different ways the word Nike is used, two different aspects. You go about the Christian life conquering evil instead of being conquered by evil. And then consider the book of Revelation as a, an epistle, a, a vision of victory in which your eyes are ultimately focused on Jesus Christ, who is the victor and will be the victor, and your victory will come in and through him. I suggest that those two aspects alone are not really all that the New Testament has to say about this idea of victory, of conquering, of Nike. Because if you're like me, you can say, I know I'm supposed to conquer evil and not be conquered by it, but as much as I try to do that, I fail at doing that. And sure, the one who conquers will receive all of these blessings in the book of Revelation, but how do I know that I'm the one who conquers? It's sort of open-ended, and the emphasis from those two concepts sort of falls on you, which is why we have to go to our text this morning, John 16, 33, and it brings a level of hope that is unparalleled. Before the high priestly prayer, so before concluding the upper room worship service with prayer, Jesus has these words on his lips, knowing that his uh, betrayal, arrest, crucifixion will be coming in short order. He says, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have conquered the world. You hear that finality in that verse? Not I will conquer the world. I have conquered the world. You see, that's why the sermon title is so bizarre, Nike for Christmas. This is before the crucifixion. After the incarnation, before the crucifixion. And Jesus is saying, take heart. Your life in this world will be full of grief, difficulty, hardships, afflictions, illness, even persecution, tribulation. But in Jesus, right now, you are to have peace and courage. And at this point, Jesus says, I have conquered the world. This is the ultimate, I've got this. This is the ultimate, it's as good as done. What this is, is ultimate assurance. 
because it doesn't hinge on you or any other flawed human, but comes from the mouth of God himself who became man, and even before going to the cross could say, I have conquered the world. To understand that just slightly better theologically, because we know Jesus Christ did go through the ordeal of the cross. Herman Bavink writes, because it is in faith, namely faith in Jesus Christ, that victory of the world is promised and assured. We have this peace. Then he says this. In its principle and essence, Christ already has victory over the world. Nike has occurred in Christ. It's not something we are waiting for. It's not something that can be undone by our good performances or our poor performances. And to take this even further, we've looked at the idea of, of conquering evil instead of being conquered by evil. We've thought about being um, the recipients to the one who conquers in the book of Revelation. Now we see John 16, 33, in which Jesus says, I have conquered. It's a sure thing. It will be done. So we go to the book of 1 John. 1 John 4.4 4 and 1 John 5.4. You are from God, little children, and have conquered, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. John 5.4. For whatever is born of God conquers the world, and this is the conquering that has conquered the world, our faith. Who is the one who conquers the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Maybe to just open up a little bit more of this language that's saying, think about the victory, the conquering that you have in Jesus Christ. Think about that as something that's in the past tense. Don't say, I will be one who conquers, but say, I conquered or have conquered because Jesus has conquered. The Lion and the Witch in the Wardrobe, C.S. Lewis. Yes, Aslan goes to the stone table, but when he first comes, his first advent, his arrival, what begins to happen? The thaw, this cold, hard, frozen world begins to thaw upon his arrival before the stone table. One of you let me know that that tremendous Christmas carol hymn, Joy to the World, was not really written about the second coming of Jesus Christ, but about his first coming. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. 
And as far as the curse is found, we begin to see him thawing this frozen, hard, cold world. Our calls to worship and our assurances of pardon over these last weeks testify through God's own word. Here you are at the ends of the earth, a fulfillment of prophecy that was written about you 2,700 years ago in a tiny insignificant nation called Israel by a prophet who must have been wondering what he was writing as he wrote it. And Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, we say that word from the Old Testament that's calling me here to worship God, Yahweh, the Lord, and to be assured of his pardon. He has conquered the world. He will conquer it, but he has conquered it. The already and the not yet. I want that to change everything for you. It has to. It's what we're called to. Sometimes we can't sing along to the music that we love. Sometimes somebody else is singing out loud, Mr. Blue Sky, and it almost annoys us to hear because it's a gray sky for us and raining at that. And especially during holidays, I, I don't know if you're all, I, I, I kind of hope you're not wired the way I am. <laughs> but the holiday season, maybe because you're expected to be joyful and sing about rejoicing all the time, or maybe it's just because the ones that we love the most end up hurting us the most. And it's, it's time where we're more around family and friends that we love. It's always the holiday season where I, I realize I am so good at grief guilt, stress, and despair. I'm awesome at those things. I'm the best at despair, but I'm really good at the other three too. And I want you to think about that and take it to these verses. Jesus, who before the ordeal of the cross could say, I have conquered the world. And now you, before the ordeal of your death, and resurrection are told by scripture. I'm not c coming up with this. John, 1 John 4, 4, 1 John 5, 4. You have conquered in Christ. You will conquer, but you have conquered. And that's where you need to go with grief. Certain people are not here with us. They used to be worshiping alongside us on Sundays. They were at Thanksgiving dinner. And there's nothing sinful about that grief. Jesus cried outside the tomb of Lazarus, though he was going to raise him in just moments. And that Jesus says, you have conquered guilt. Maybe the worst thing about addictions is the guilt that it causes. It's hard to imagine anything could be worse than an addiction in itself. But the hammering 
home of being stuck in something. You go with that guilt to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is your victory. He doesn't say, go conquer your addiction, and then maybe I'll help you along. He says, come to me with your addiction and conquer in me. Stress. Included in stress is anxiety. Catastrophizing. Thinking about all of the inevitable outcomes that will each be terrible and then inevitably don't happen. Laying down at night with a body in desperate need of sleep but a mind that won't let it go there. Stress at work, stress at home, stress over finances, stress over grades, stress over relationships. You need to go to the Lord Jesus Christ and see your victory in him. You don't need to stress about it. He's already done the most important thing, the thing that you could never do for yourself. He became man and then went to the cross to establish it and says, I have conquered. You need to see that you have conquered in him. Despair. This is why I say I'm best at despair. I've gotten to darker places than I ever care to admit by thinking about friends and siblings who are not currently professing Jesus Christ or attending church. What could be more perplexing, hurtful, agonizing, for a Christian parent than to wonder about the eternal security of a child. And I take that despair to Jesus Christ. And I say, you conquered. I was no prize, but you saved me. You need to go to Jesus Christ who said, I have conquered the world. And you have conquered in me. And maybe you do something like what Paul did in Romans 9, verses 1 through 4. He says, I am telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. I don't think that language is just, you know, there to be ignored. I think Paul is looking at the cross and saying, Jesus on the cross did something I can't do. But when I think of my loved ones, my relatives, my flesh and blood, my friends that are closer than a brother or sister, the ones I see every holiday season and think about if they're no longer with us, I would give myself to be crucified and accursed. And then you realize all over again that's not what the Lord calls you to do except to bear your cross daily and see the perfect sacrifice for sin in Jesus Christ on the cross 
who conquered the world and makes you one who has conquered in him. Think about St. Monica praying for St. Augustine who had brought forth an illegitimate child. Think about John Newton's saintly mother praying for John Newton during his career of kidnapping and slave trading. Bring grief, guilt, stress, despair. Bring it to the Lord Jesus Christ. Look to him in faith, a faith that conquers the world in and through Christ. Herman Bavinck preached a sermon on only one of these verses, 1 John 5, 4. The sermon's called World Conquering Faith, and it's been translated into English. I just want to read some of that. This Jesus, who when he came into our midst would not have been seen by anyone as more than a man, this Jesus, not being beautiful in form or having any glory that we should desire him, this Jesus is God's Son, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, of the patriarchs according to the flesh, but also truly God over all, blessed forever. It maintains that this Jesus is the Christ and not our virtues or good works. This faith maintains that it is not the art of science, nor the state of power, nor the work of a single creature on heaven and earth, but rather in Christ alone, the anointed one of God, the one who makes atonement for sins, the savior of the world, our highest prophet, our only priest, our eternal king. Believing that Jesus is the Christ is the simplest thing that can be thought, the only fresh and living way for a guilty child of man to participate, to participate in heavenly blessedness, eternal life, and peace with God by mere grace. Faith is victory over the world. Whoever believes has received a new life. He who has believed is a new creation, is called from darkness into God's wonderful light, is no longer a citizen subject to the world, but rather born of God by the Spirit from above with citizenship in heaven. His unrighteousness is forgiven. His infirmity is healed. His life saved from damnation. He is crowned with goodness and mercy. Who shall bring accusations against the elect of God? See what he's doing here? Romans 8. Who shall bring accusation against the elect of God? God is the one who makes righteous. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God? 
indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or stress or grief or guilt or despair? But in all these things, we are more than conquerors. More than Nike. Literally, hyper-Nike. A hyper kind of conquering. Not even Nike, the shoe company, has the audacity to say they're hyper-Nikes. But like I said, I think Romans 8 in some ways is just this grand uh, climactic summary of what the whole Bible is teaching. And Paul is saying, you know, how do I get this through to him? How do I get this through to the church? Yes, there's victory in Christ. There's conquering certain sins and overcoming habits that assail us, sinful habits. And it's also true that at the end of the age, the ones who conquer will receive all sorts of good things. Both of those things are true. But a third thing that's true is that Jesus Christ has conquered, past tense. He doesn't need to conquer anymore, and he's currently at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, building his church against which the gates of hell will not prevail. That's also true. And a fourth truth, a fourth aspect to the word Nike, is that those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ have conquered. 1 John 4, 4, 1 John 5, 4. So I think Paul is wrapping all of that up and saying, the only way I can say this, the only way I can capture this in a term is not just Nike, but hyper-Nike, more than conqueror, more than conquerors through him who loved us. Romans eight thirty seven, the fifth aspect. We are overwhelmingly conquered. We overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Do you believe this? Jesus asked that in the text, if you remember. Verse 31. Do you now believe? Do you now believe Will you believe this? Why wouldn't you believe this? Don't go the rest of eternity having missed your chance to believe this. Make the Savior who has overcome the world your Savior. Make the Lord who has already conquered your Lord. Don't go on to the next moment without making the Lord Jesus Christ your Lord Jesus Christ. He has conquered the world. In all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer. Love him and know victory in him.
Father in heaven, change the way we think as we come to your word. Deliver us from living by bread alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.